The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to the American Negotiation Institute's podcast, where we will teach you the skills you need to get more out of life. And now your host, Kwame Christian. Hello and welcome to episode five of Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. My name is Kwame Christian and I'm a business lawyer and I am passionate about teaching entrepreneurs like you how to negotiate for your business. Today we have a really exciting episode because we have John and Rochelle on. They are business partners and life partners. They're actually engaged. And it's really interesting to see the dynamics between them and how they work out disagreements in the business without having a detrimental effect on their relationship. Another thing that I want to highlight in this episode is their negotiation strategy because their business is a real estate business. They're um, a real estate investment company. So they're constantly negotiating with realtors, other independent sellers, and tenants to try and uh, figure out what's next for their business. And then we're going to finish off the episode talking about their business strategy because it goes beyond just owning real estate and managing properties. They're coming up with a course that systematizes their process and allows people like you and me to replicate their success in real estate. So let's get started. Well, I am here with John and Rochelle. Um, we, we have an interesting story because I first met Rochelle at one of my negotiation seminars, and I didn't know her name, but I knew she was a scientist, so the whole time I called her the researcher. And uh, we had this uh, simulated negotiation, and she just she got everything she wanted in that simulation. <laughs> I was like, this is someone I need to keep in touch with. And then, John, we've met a couple times at, uh, we first met at OSU at an event, and we just kept in touch, and we found out that we have a lot of things in common as far as entrepreneurship and what our goals, so there's a lot of synergy between all of us, and I just wanted to have them on to share their entrepreneurial journey and get some tidbits from them, so. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. So, who wants to go first with the entrepreneurial journey? All right, John, leading the way. Oh, I have been elected. <laughs> You've been um, elected. Hey, um, my entrepreneurial journey, where, where did it start? I mean, it started from not my own entrepreneurial journey, but working through a family entrepreneurial journey. So my father was a builder and a developer. Um, I worked for his company, and it was kind of like I was tired of the nickname Junior and Junjun and, you know, John's kid. And, you know, you run a family business, and you have a high-ranking position, but you, you don't see all the, the strappings of wealth that we're producing you know, it's kind of like I wasn't ready to receive the benefits. So, I, you know, I worked hard, but eventually I just wanted to go off on my own. And, you know, I said, I want to do things my way. I want to implement how to optimize landlording and renting and dealing with tenants my way. So I just really wanted to prove that I had a way that could be successful and that would work. So I spun off of the family company and I started a real estate investment firm. Nice. And, you know, it went on from there. I'm sure there was earlier routes, but that was my first legitimate kind of, you know experience. That's awesome. What about you, Rochelle? Um, well, I mine is somewhat similar, but maybe a, a little bit more on the boring side. Uh, so I spent all my years in school. Uh, so I'm Caribbean by descent, and uh, I come from a long line of professional people that always have owned rental property on the side, 
Um, so my family's from Barbados, and we fundamentally we own land. That's what we do. <laughs> and uh, so that was drilled in from from a fairly early age. Uh, so my dad's a petroleum engineer, and before he left the island, he bought a piece of land, right, and uh, left it with my grandmother to help support her income. And then he came to the States, and uh, 30 years later, here I am. So long story short, I'm a chemical engineer. I'm a researcher, research scientist. And um, when I came of age and actually got a, a full-time job and actually made full-time money, it's like, Daddy, I want to own a rental property. Like, let's do it together. <laughs> and uh, he never really got his portfolio off the ground. My mom really wasn't too on board with it. Uh, so he was really happy to have, a let's say, a, a, a sidekick <laughs> to go on with. So, uh, so since I've been out in the real world, my dad and I kind of started buying a couple, and then I met John, and now we buy a couple, and there you go. That's so. awesome. So you all now are in business together. In business and in life. Business and in life. Nice. Michelle is now my fiance. We're business partners, life partners, friends, you know, mm-hmm. partners. Here's the question, because a lot of times with business, the business can be going fine, and then the partners mess things up because they don't get along. So for you, it's, it's really interesting because you are business partners and life partners. So how do you balance that? You know, I'll start by saying when we initially met, Rochelle was potentially <laughs> going to be an investor in my real estate investment company. Yep. Interesting. And to become an investor in my exclusive real estate investment company, we I'm put... my eyes. Roll your eyes. But we put you through a process. <laughs> and through that process, there's an evaluation and a questionnaire. And the questionnaire is not so much about, I mean, we talk about rate of returns, what you're interested in and timelines, but more so, what do you want to do after you make money? You know, what motivates you? How do you want to give back to the world? So there are a lot of these kind of... Philosophical. Philosophical, I guess is what you'll call them. But to me, very critical and important. Real estate's not just about money to me, but very critical questions that if we're going to create economic wealth and build together that we just have to get past before the money comes and people change, most likely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, prior to us kind of even getting into bed with each other, that, that deal didn't move forward and matriculate just because of terms. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we got to become friends and we met consistently and just had conversations and talks. And, you know, I, I think that started an initial mutual relationship to be like, oh, well, one, we offered her a potential opportunity to invest with us. But it was more so, hey, you know, you fit the criteria, you fit the mold, you might be a valid person also to want to not just invest with, but I'd go on vacation with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I think that being in business together only enriches the relationship. It makes it have another element, another layer that just a traditional, oh, what'd you do today? Not much. What'd you do today? Not much. You know, it really adds more flavor and color to it. Um, so our, our relationship was multidimensional. Which, without the business aspect, uh, it wouldn't be as interesting and fun. Hmm. I agree. That's good. So, what about those times when you kind of disagree on on a direction for the business? How do you how do you work through that as partners? Um, I think we have different communication styles. Correct. So, John is a lot more vocal. I'm shy. I'm less shy than he is, and so he likes to voice his opinion, which is nice. Sure. And so I say, understood. Thank you for sharing. And then I will voice mine. And sometimes it falls on deaf ears. So then I write mine out in an email, <laughs> which you'll read later. Um, but, you know, it's a matter of understanding that the person has good intent. And we understand that we won't move forward with the decision unless we're both in agreement. 
And that's the baseline understanding. And so as long as everyone understands the basic terms mm-hmm. of engagement, then, you know, that's how it works. So even if we have a disagreement, until we resolve said disagreement, no decisions will be made. And I will say that when we move forward to want to be in business together and life <laughs> together, we actually created a conflict resolution plan. We did. And Seriously. because John we falls did. on deaf ears constantly, <laughs> in the plan, John recommended that all kind of disagreements would be written. So I'm 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 a kind of you can speak to me verbally and yes I'm hearing I'm listening mm-hmm. eh, write me out kind of write me out the concerns write me out the opinions let me read it let me think about it and I'll get back to you. For so, example, he wrote me an engagement contract. So before he proposed, wait 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 wait. Oi. So like and you met. <laughs> it wasn't a prenup. It was not a prenup. It was a. That would have made more sense to me. I. Rochelle Thomas hereby agree that John and I are engaged. Like, it literally was a written, and I signed it, agreement. Yes. Wow. So everything is in writing. Literally, we have a scope of work. So I took a project management class through work, and I came back, and I was telling him all about it. And he's like, this is excellent. Let us implement it. So we did. So we wrote out our... Uh, scope of work. The time required for each task, mm-hmm. estimated time, the expectation for when the task would be complete. We have then a, a motto. Window. What is it? A motto? What is it? Is it a motto or a creed? A creed. Yeah, we, we have I mean, a creed. Everything. I know, I know. It, it's kind of overkill. It but. is. <laughs> I think this is really interesting because I think a lot of times people who are really, really good friends or are dating each other or married and they go into business, they think that friendship or that relationship is just going to carry them through the day. Uh-uh. And We're all adults and we all have our own opinions. And yeah. so things have to be explicitly laid out so that everyone understands what those terms mean. Yeah. That's the only way you can come to a resolution. So yeah. he may have different opinions than I do. And so until you write it out, it's like, um, that's actually not what I want. So we have a timeline for how long we'll be in Columbus, Ohio. And what are those conditions under which that can be accelerated or delayed? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So when, so when you went into this business partnership, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's really legit a business it's partnership. It's legitimate. I mean, it's a life partnership. A life partnership as well. But I think when you're adding another layer of, you know, once again, yeah. business you know, I came from an investment company background. I had partners, and through the partnership, you know, you learn a lot about, you know, wanting to work with people. And then when you're in that relationship, just different values, different opinions, time will change, and you expect people to stay the same. But really, people evolve, and the evolution of that relationship can really shift. And when you are mutually tied together, I mean... The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Financial means and economics are at stake, and too often we don't want to wake up you know, in, in a few years and, you know, we shifted opinions or views or we've amassed in a bigger, whether it's portfolio or, you know, assets. And, 
and things become to deteriorate or get destroyed. Just like an yeah. LLC, we have to annually review our documents. And have so. a resolution for XYZ. Exactly. So wow. when we come to one year, we will review. Mm-hmm. What if there's a point after when you come to that one year point when mm-hmm. you one of you realizes, you know, I might want to do something different. Do you have a plan for how the business breaks up? Of course. Yeah. And I think it's it's a matter of so whether or not someone wants to shift their role, um, I think it's a matter of are we dissolving the overall entity or is there a reallocation of responsibility? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right? Are we two different re- things. replacing who's doing what? And let's say we want to be hands off. She wants to be hands off or I want to be hands off. Are we just replacing that business role and title as opposed to, you know, we're dissolving this entity and it's like, ah, we can't move forward because, you know, she wants to pursue a think tank and I want to, you know, do third world development, you know. Mm-hmm. So it just which depends. are both real things that yeah. you want to do. Yeah, yeah. and time right. intensive and which distract us from the initial project, mm-hmm. but it doesn't take away the, the initial intent of why we started what we we're trying to accomplish and the fact that... Or our vested interest in it. Yeah, and providing value. I mean, we're not going to, you know, we're building a community and viable kind of stakeholders in an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they shouldn't be disrupted because of our personal choices. Right. So it's kind of being mindful that, hey, you know, if we choose and have pursued building and growing something beyond us, there's a level of consistency that's required. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what our personal opinions are. Right. Yeah. That's phenomenal. So how do you handle disputes with other people? With other... Well, you, you this is real estate. So you have to sure. deal with realtors, people selling property. Like, what is what is your negotiation philosophy when it comes to handling those relationships? It's two-tier. I mean, so one, I believe in getting what you want. Okay. But two, I believe in not being rigid. So, I mean, we're definitely dealing with a lot of people. I think it's, you know, it's one of those books where you read about BATNA. And I think it was getting to yes or getting past no. One of the the books. But within the book, you know, it's it's too often, it's one, we have great counsel and great relationships with attorneys and people help guide us Mm -hmm. and make strategic decisions. Mm -hmm. But two, it's recognizing that the ultimate value is getting the deal done (laughs) and and getting dollars in your pocket and the deal to close and things moving forward. So too often, I mean, you know, the concessions have to be made on both ends and just not being too rigid. Mm -hmm. It's almost like deciding what it is that you want and then ranking them in order of priority, right? So if price is most important to me, then I may delay the timeline or I may delay something else that's most important to that other person. So mm-hmm. absolutely get what you want, but rank that in in the full light of all the terms. Because it's not just price, it's price and terms, particularly in real estate, mm-hmm. right? And the terms sometimes are more important than the, than price, the price itself, yeah. mm. right? Can so. you give a scenario where that, that would be the case? Okay. Seymour. Uh, or, no, you give it, whatever. Seymour is a great example. You do it, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um... So, price can be, I will pay you, uh, let me think, how do I want to say this? Say the price, say the... Okay, so we got this house, right? And the the value of the home is, what, 45 grand? 45. 45 grand, okay. The sales price was 30 grand. Initially, yeah. And the person wanted cash, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, I can give you thirty grand cash, but that's only a $15,000 equity window, which for me is a little thing, right? Or the person can accept payment over time. He can accept terms. So this is where the seller will act as my mortgage company. So instead of me going to J.P. Morgan Chase and filling out a loan application, and I pay my mortgage payment monthly to Chase, 
and they pay the seller. So to close out the picture, I now pay my mortgage payment to the seller, the previous homeowner, mm-hmm. every month. Okay? So if you amortize that over 30 years, the mortgage payment, including taxes, comes out to about 340 some odd dollars per month. Okay. Now, I don't want to give you 30 grand in cash, Mm-mm. but what I pay you, what in my mind is a premium, when I only have to put out $300 per month. Mm. So a premium and down payment. And not only right. that, when you look at the seller's kind of best alternative is mm-hmm. to, one, continue the operating expenses of holding the property. Mm-hmm. He's an out-of-state guy, so dealing with the maintenance, upkeep, etc. Two, the location and the dynamics of where the property is located takes a level of sophistication in order to navigate it, in order to be successful. So your best alternative is to keep burning cash. And the right. burn rate, whether it's in a startup or in a business, is serious. Right. So you can say, hey, your terms are in a market where the majority of your target customer would never pay this and was never going to buy this building. So you can right. let it sit. Or you can give it to me yeah. in terms where I can actually accept. And then you can always go back and renegotiate the good deal. So, for example, after we signed the dotted line, I said, hey, you know, it's the holidays. I just gave you the down payment. How about we skip the first mortgage payment just so we have enough time to catch up? Okay, so now my first mortgage payment is delayed till two months after closing. Mm. That's great. Now I can go back and renegotiate my property taxes mm-hmm. at the city because mm-hmm. the city says that the property is valued at sixty grand. Mm. I just bought it, quote unquote, at thirty grand. So now my property taxes should be discounted. So that's going to reduce my monthly payment as well, right? right? So there are all these other things that, as Johnson, a sophisticated investor, can do to negotiate the price to make it less of a burden monthly on the back end that someone that's a novice may not be able to do. And allowing that other person to get rid of the asset, get it off their books, and and get the cash flow they need to please, you know, their parties. Correct. So everybody's happy. They got what they want. He got the cash he wanted. He got rid of the headache, the monthly management, everything. Right. We take it over and, you know. And we get a house. And that's the risk that we're more than willing to take on. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So two points on that I wanted to I mm-hmm. want to touch on. Sure. Um, first point is renegotiating right after the deal yeah. and, <laughs> and yep. negotiating with the city. Yep. So yeah. how is the person's response when you renegotiate it? Because you did it after you signed, right? As soon as he cashed a check, what feeling do you have? Elation <laughs> and relief. Yeah. I'll give you whatever you want. Because right. the money was real. Mm-hmm. Real, real. Mm-hmm. Like, check cleared real. Yeah. Too yeah. often deals <laughs> fall through, so it's like... You know, it's it's everyone under the sun wants to buy a deal. It falls through in financing. And it had been on the market like two or three months. Yeah. Already. So you're not getting hits. And People can't third, get financing. This was the third time he sold it. Yeah. Right? And so he had oh. tried to sell it previously. And every time the deal came back and he had to, let's say, repossess the property. Gotcha. So it's so just. So this time you got cash. We didn't beat you up on the price. Yeah. Like, literally. You have qualified people who aren't going to walk. We're not looking to kind of, you know. I give you my credit score. Everything. I mean, what else do you want? Income, anything you want, we'll give you. It's yeah. like, hey, we're the best alternative for you. So, too often, long term, when you look at not willing or not wanting to kind of repeat the cycle, mm-hmm. it's like, ah, let's just work with them. You know, they're going to pay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on our end, what the next part was that the city. Mm-hmm. Um, that was more so, you know, Rochelle wanting to kind of really hammer it home. <laughs> and that's fine. I mean, for me, I'm a little more lax in that regard, but money's money. Yeah, man. So, Everybody you know, counts. recognizing even though for me it's at a certain price point, hey, you know, even if it's a couple hundred dollars savings, it's worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did that negotiation with the city go? How did you even oh, start that conversation? It's a, it's a standardized process. So yeah. whenever you, a property transfers, that's a, a, a measure of its value. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a, a data point on the graph, right? So every time the property transfers, that's another bit of information mm-hmm. about how what the value is at that certain point in time. So because the property transferred, because we purchased it, now we can say, hey, city, because I have a closing document at this price point, clearly I'm only going to pay for it at the value that it's actually worth. So you don't have to, there's no, I mean, there is a hearing, right? So I do have to go for a hearing, but it, it it's not anything that's uh, scary or it's not scary, but there is a level of experience because owning other buildings and sure. properties, you're able to learn the process. Let's say we previously hired attorneys to go through the process for us. Right. So now you have a standardized template mm-hmm. in which now you know the data points to pull, the copy, the descriptions. You know all the added values that you have to input into this form mm-hmm. and into this appeal that's, that's going to get it approved. Right. right. So once you have that first level experience, now you can take it and replicate over and over. It's like paying a consultant to help you and then or paying a lawyer to give you the documents and then you can use that same document repeatedly. Right. You pay, them to, you pay to play. You, you pay, pay to learn the process. You pay to learn. Once they teach you, we okay, really appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you so much for teaching me. <laughs> this, this is a perfect segue because now we're going to talk about teaching. Sure. And now you all, with your business, Real estate is just one. Like you all actually purchasing the real estate is one. Mm-hmm. But now you want to shift into teaching your your model Absolutely. for real estate too, yeah. right? We have a lot of friends that ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as, as John like to say, to say he's a micro-celebrity. Oh! <laughs> you know, one, I am a micro-celebrity. Secretly, <laughs> <laughs> I'll publicly, I'll admit it. But two, besides just friends, we have friends, and then let's say within your network, you have someone that say, hey, John, I have this young man or this or that, they want to get into real estate. I'd love to, them to talk to you. Are you willing? Yeah. Or, hey, Rochelle, you know, you're in this community online, whether it's bigger pockets or whoever, you know, I'd love to ask you questions on how you did X, Y, Z. So, you know, for us, there was a level of redundancy of going through the same process over and over with the same same kind of people and the same kind of questions. Right. And eventually, and you really need help. You yeah. Know what I mean, like we have we each have friends that are in our same age demographic, and you wonder why are you so much further financially than I am? Mm-hmm. And we started on the same playing field on the same day under the right. same conditions, yeah. right? So there, there has to be something there. And eventually, everyone will wisen up and start asking questions. So this is our way of giving back and yeah. wanting to have more friends come along with us. It's no fun golfing and having a party by yourself. Right. Or vacationing. I mean, shoot. Correct. Dinners, like, you know, just lifestyles. You want to make sure that everyone's catching up and mm-hmm. keeping up, especially in your ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I mean, too often, it's also a way to kind of archive yeah. our information, to our really, our journey, relearn, and really kind of... What is it? Like, just let, you know. Submit the process so that when we want to go and acquire more, you know, we're that much better and more refined. So, can you tell us a little bit more about the program that you're, you're planning on putting out? Sure. Um, so, basically, we uh, did a mad, massive brain dump of what do we think is taking you zero, literally from zero to purchase, to closing, um, and then even beyond with managing the property. Uh, so, we've developed an eight-week course, um, and so it will take you literally from identifying are you financially ready for this, Uh, what does that actually mean, where does real estate investing fall within the financial pyramid, Um, how do you identify a property, how to identify a location, a city, what method of investing do you want, fits best with your personality. Um, You want to take it from there? No, I mean, you're you're on the right track. Okay. Um, And all the way through the closing process, how do you screen tenants, um, how to know when to sell, Everything. Wow. So obviously we can't get into every single nuance. But mostly what every landlord won't tell you. Yeah. You know. Everything that you wanted to know. How do I do it? And yeah. 
Sure. So what is the difference between doing your course and, and just reading one of these books? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, I'll start by saying, you know, before I began, I read everything under the sun. I mean, not everything went to Barnes and Nobles between buying all the books plus then going on a weekly basis to read the books in store for free. You know, on one one end, they don't tell you the negative, the bad, and the horror stories. So, you know, I mean, too often you hear the hearsay of, oh, tenant won't pay or flooding or blah, blah, blah. But you really don't hear kind of the the bad contractors or, you know, what not to look for. But um, but I'd say our experience, you know, I mean, both of us, we're not 30, you know, so both of us are in our 20s. Mm-hmm. Both of us started early 20s. Very young. Very, very young. Mm-hmm. And I, I think just too often what's going to resonate is people who are in a similar circumstance or situation and, you know, they want to share a similar journey. So for us, it's just a level of experience and success we've managed to have. And I mean, there are 30 plus 40, 50 year olds who haven't been able to obtain or achieve so for us, it's not a matter of bragging or boasting, but it's a matter of, hey, you know, we're still equals and we're still wanting more people to be on the journey with us. Right. Absolutely. Um, same thing. I read a ton of books. I read everything I get my hands on. And there's there's always gaps, you know. Uh, the authors of those books, sometimes they can be a little far removed. Mm-hmm. It takes some time to publish an actual book, right? Right. And so they may not be in the trenches in the field still doing it, still interviewing you know, we don't have a, a team of people. I don't have my own property manager or, or girls that I want to hire <laughs> to take that away. So I still screen the tenants. I still look at every application that comes through and all that. So I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like for someone to be literally glowing with a halo. And then as soon as they sign the lease, you're like, where did those horns come from? Like, <laughs> I swear you were like Betty Crocker and you were going to make me a cake. And now I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> so I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, to be had, you know, and. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and that, that's what it's really like. Right. You know, and we've done it in multiple cities, you know. So, I came from Texas. John's from New York. Yeah. Um, multiple had, price points. Multiple price points. Everything. You know, everything from condos to... Single families, <laughs> to multi-families. multi-families. I mean... So, the full gamut. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for us, it's just, you know, we've also, I think from an early on for me, I started tracking my deals, my process... My photos. I mean, one, it was for credibility when I was raising money in an investment company. Mm-hmm. But two, I really wanted to create a replicable, repeatable model. Mm-hmm. I mean, too often I wanted to be viewed. I took a non-traditional path. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't go straight to university, but I did go. But, you know, I wanted to be viewed as credible and professional. And I knew that unless I could test and prove that, hey, I can lead multiple people to the same path, People mm-hmm. wouldn't take me serious. I would just be that, you know, oh, he just dropped out or, oh, he's just this and that. I was, yeah, I'm going to show you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so what other things do you think add more value to the course than a typical just book or class would? One, I'd say it's it's similar to an audio recording, but mm-hmm. with the author kind of curating that experience in the sense that, it's going to be a personal and intimate experience because you're going to hear our voice. You're going to get to know us. You're going to hear the ebbs, the flows, the character, mm-hmm. and the interpersonal just honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, but two... You know, we're creating a community, so we have our Facebook group. And we're not going away. You know, we're always available mm-hmm. to our subscribers and people that join the course. People that are on our newsletter, they reply to our emails and yeah. literally say, Hey, what about this? What about that? Um, of course, anyone that participates in a course would have access to that, even without... 
buying a course, you have access to that. So we're here and we're, we're available. Yeah, and I think with the course, um, too often books take you down many roads and many paths. Mm-hmm. Right now, our course is going to be very specific to a buy and hold strategy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are many courses that are going to teach you how to wholesale or how to flip houses. We really want to hammer down the mindset of kind of Buffett, value investing, right. and, and buying and holding forever. And being prudent. Yeah. I don't think a lot of the books really start at the beginning. Okay, this is this is what dollars are. This is what a savings account is. And really... Where do, where does real estate investing fall? Like it's not the same thing as having an emergency mm-hmm. fund. It's, it's not. really it's really like the grad school of investing, right? Mm-hmm. And so to really lay out that landscape to make sure that you're financially prudent from the beginning, that's something that a book can't tell you. A book is going to dive directly into this one topic that you want without making sure that full landscape and foundation is laid appropriately. And I think we really want to hammer down the responsibility of yeah. kind of it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to say I want to own a house, I want to invest in property. But it's another to say that, oh, my God, the little kid is going to come up to me and say, this house is better than the last place I lived in. Yeah. And, I mean, the environment that you're creating for people and the influence you have on their, their situation, the neighborhood, the community. I mean, you are influencing the built environment and people. You are. So it's just the course is just going to really, like, just a level of seriousness. I mean, I know books teach you this, mm-hmm. but I think too often there are gaps, and we want to hopefully cover some of those gaps that we've recognized. Yeah, right. it's a it's a whole different level of responsibility to not only have housing for yourself and your own family, but to go above and beyond and provide that for someone else's family, right? Right. Like that's, that's cool. That, that's so heavy, and that's so meaningful, and I don't think a lot of landlords and real estate investors really It's a lot about money. It. And it's like, we, it's I so love money, we that. love money, I know, you know, money is good. But it's but so I mean, much more than that. And you have an opportunity to really affect people and community and streets and lives. It's the ultimate social entrepreneurship, I think, oh, is the, is the I word, know, the, I know. It the buzzword. But I mean, it, it is. Be, like, it you're, you're providing housing for someone. This is their home, mm-hmm. their place where they go and they rest. And you're giving that to them. Of course, you get something in return for it, but... That's a wonderful gift, I think. Yeah. See, this this is cool because what it seems like to me is that not only are you creating a, a systematic style, mm-hmm. a systematic approach to um, real estate entrepreneurship, which is which is great. Because yeah. for me, some that's something I've wanted to get into for a long time. And I've, I've read those books. And like you said, they are a little bit everywhere. Like you could do this, this, this. I was like, no, just tell me exactly mm-hmm. what to do and how you did it. And let me model it 100% off of you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool that you all are coming from a young professional perspective as well. Not somebody who's in the, been in the game forever. No. And you... Not only are you talking about the money, but you also are socially conscious with it, too. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times people just do it for the money, and then that's when you become a slumlord. Mm-hmm. And people hate yeah. You. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know. It's Monopoly, but even before I started, and even it's before... It's a real-life Monopoly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, when I was picking what to study in the university, and it's like I could have studied business, I could have studied real estate. I, put, I picked and I chose city and regional planning. And I always ask myself, you know... Who's, you know, too often you go into a community and you hear, this is a bad neighborhood and these people are bad and they're the reasons. And then, I don't know when the consciousness picked up, but too often, majority of Americans, like half the country right now doesn't own their own home. They're renting. And the landlord picked, you're in my place, you're in my building, you're in my property, you're, you're my resident. I chose you. I put you in the circumstance. I mean, you came to me for an opportunity and a place to live. And I created this, this circumstance, the situation. I went to the bank. I bought the building. I dealt with the, you know, the logistics of owning. Right. So too often, I mean, we can't blame the, 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 the community members and the people. I mean, you, to a certain extent, you can. 
But the landlord has control over the situation. I can choose the quality of person. I can try to train them. I can try to give them insight on what we expect, our expectations, their responsibilities. I mean, we can't just say, hey, this is bad because the people are bad. It's the landlord who sets the stage. It's management, you know, being the ruler of the company. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's, we're at about 30 minutes now. So how about we end with this? Mm-hmm. So what is your negotiation philosophy? So what are some tips, actionable tips that you can give to the audience that they can take and, and move their business forward? Um, a first one I would say is what we mentioned earlier. Batna. Batna. Figure out what it is that you have to have. What is BATNA? Best alternative to a negotiated agreement, Good. right? So if we can't reach an agreement, what what do I have to have in order to leave this table, right? So figure out what that is and identify the passive path of least resistance to get there. And for yourself as well as the person you're going against. Mm. And so not true. against, but the, the negotiating participant. And right. theirs is probably even more important than yours. <laughs> By understanding theirs, you can really kind of find mm-hmm. the win-win. Excuse me. Absolutely. Right. And so how do you how do you do that though? Like how do you how does knowing their best alternative help you at the negotiating table? It gives you the upper hand. It you can be wrong, but it does it gives you leverage. So it, yes. it, it definitely gives you the upper hand. But it allows you to kind of it's almost being in the balcony and being able to frame the view from their eyes mm-hmm. and saying, Okay, you know, I recognize that Rochelle I'm, I'm, I'm hypothesizing, but I recognize that Rochelle might need X, Y, and Z, and here's what X, Y, and Z is going to do for her bottom line. Mm-hmm. So if I can achieve that in whatever roundabout way that I deem is appropriate, she might say yes. And by her saying yes, I win. And, and not, you know, win financially, but just win in the sense of, you know, we're able to move forward. And I think too often people don't want to be at a wall and a standstill. They want to find ways to mutually move forward. So... It's just being able to take a look at the other side's, you know, opportunity and stance and, and being motivation. willing. Yeah, and motivation and being willing to recognize that, internalize it and, and finding ways to work with it. Right. So just being, you know, pragmatic about that approach and, and, and working working to a resolution as opposed to being in a standoff. Right. Well, good stuff. So how can our audience here get in touch with you and what you're doing? They can visit us at LifeLibertyNProperty.com. So that is Life, Liberty, and not and, but the letter N. The, the letter, letter N. N. LifeLibertyNProperty.com. <laughs> cool, cool. And I will say this, too. They have one of the best newsletters I've seen. And uh, so so get on that list and get in touch with John and Rochelle. Thanks. Awesome. So thanks, thanks for having for us. Here. Yeah. It was this a was pleasure fun. to be here. All right, everyone. I hope you found that interview helpful. I had a lot of fun, and I know they did, too. And if you are a business owner and you want to get a list of negotiable business expenses, go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash list. There's a link to that in the description as well. That free list will give you an idea of some of the business and personal expenses that you can actually negotiate. And hopefully you'll be able to save some money at the end of the year. If you are, shoot me an email. I'd love to hear how it went. Thanks again for listening, and if you like this episode, please rate and subscribe. We really appreciate the support, and I am looking forward to seeing you in the next one. I'll catch you later.